0: That's A-N-C-H-O-R dot F-M. Now back to the good part.
1: Welcome back to the Boundary Corner Podcast with my partner, Brian Siegler. I'm Curtis Wilson. This episode is brought to you by Dr. Lord, Lord Jeremy Counts at Main Street Pharmacy in Blacksburg. If you love this podcast, if you love the Hokies and the town of Blacksburg, make sure you are supporting Main Street Pharmacy when you make your way to town.
0: And again, guys, we got some stickers there at the pharmacy Stop on by three hundred one South Main Street. Tell them Curtis Brian sent you. Get yourself a sticker, and uh, that'll make Jeremy real happy. All right,
1: Brian, how you doing tonight, man? Man, I am tired, dude. <laughs> oh yeah, you, you got you got nailed at work today. I did usually Brian starts putting notes from all his game film in throughout the day on Tuesdays, and like, I went in there at ten and one was in there. Went in there at one and nothing was in there, and when I went in there at three and nothing was in
0: there. I messed him, like, dude, are you alive? And I'm, like, I'm good. I'm getting there. I got it in there. Uh It was one of those days where I didn't anticipate it being a thing, but then it was a thing. So that kind of they ran threw me fire off. blitz
1: ads him all day. Just attack, attack, attack. I didn't see it coming. I didn't, didn't see it coming. It coming.
0: Had yeah. my head down. Had my head down.
1: It's one of those things. We got in the background over here, over my left shoulder, some action. So if you've got betting lines. We have a hey. tight game in the second quarter, which is in the second quarter. What in the world happened to this game? This game was an 8 o'clock kick. How's it just in the second quarter?
0: <laughs> what are they doing? I, just, I don't know. It's 14 to
1: 14 at that. It must have been like 100 passes. Anybody knows exactly what's going on in that game. Please comment. Um, I started at the beginning of it, but uh, so we'll have that in the background throughout the remainder of the show. There you go. All right, Brian. Well, let's get to it, man. A tough, tough, tough recap we got to go through here. We talked a couple times Saturday. We've obviously talked numerous times since then. Yep. The, the Hokies blow an 11 point lead in the fourth quarter in fall to Georgia Tech 28 27. And I have this literary classic I love. Piggy and Gerald. For anybody out there with kids, Piggy and Gerald are dope. Straight up. If you read those things with your kid, A, you're helping your kid, but B, they're also very funny. And I love the one where Piggy gets upset when Gerald breaks his toy. I am mad. I am sad. I am mad and sad. That is kind of what we've been for the last few days, Brian, with the result and all the shit out of this game.
0: Yeah, that was. I mean, it's one thing to lose in that fashion once, to have it happen back to back. So, so, so the week before we're punching above our pay grade a little bit. Yeah. Despite them having a uh, you know, a back freshman up, quarterback, freshman Backed quarterback. Up. Yeah. Um, and then you know this week we uh we play down a little bit and in, in way the- down. In terms of overall talent. And it, and it's, we're at the point now where, you know, we are what our record is, regardless of mm-hmm. what we're doing on the field. Um, Two and
1: seven all day long. We will not go to a bowl for the first time since 1992. Um, if you count 2020, 2020, the team was bowl eligible. You can go into that story all day if they voted not to, or the coaches voted not to, or whatever. But it is what it is. And, and, and Brian, Something we had not seen since ODU crept his head back in. And the offense turns the ball over four times during the game. And you (laughs) – when I started talking about it, Brian pulls up the play sheet. Curtis, it's not just that we gave
0: the ball away four times. Oh, no. We didn't just give the the ball away. We gave the ball away on on the other team's side of the field – Every time. Yeah. I mean, this. This these are drive-killing, point-surrendering turnovers. It, we're not just talking about, you know, oh, we gave the ball away or, oh, we, we had a first down and then we gave the ball away. No, we are in at or on the doorstep of scoring every time we're giving the ball away. Three of the four times.
1: The first one was early. We fumbled at the Georgia Tech 22. And we know Will Ross all year had been making field goals from that range, but you're driving. And immediately you were like, three points. Just go ahead and book that three points off the board. And that sort of, you know, it set the tone for the early first quarter because Georgia Tech jumps all up, gets up 10-0. And then for the next roughly three and a half quarters, three quarters, everything kind of went the Hokies' way. The Hokies would score 28 of the next, uh, give my math right here, 28 of the next 34 points.
0: Yeah.
1: Right? Yeah, because yeah. we went up – or 27 – or 33. 20, 27. 27 of the next 33. Yep. 27 of the next 33 points. And you roll into the fourth quarter, you got a lead. And, you know, let's talk about the fumble at the 10-yard line because I, I made a note here – to myself i wanted to when when we stopped them on that fourth down and i'm listening to it I, again i don't get rsn but i love bill and mike so there's nothing better than to sit in a car or have the earbuds in and listen to them call the game and we we get that ball and i'm like be aggressive like right to me right and, there and we were we, the gate, well, yeah. well, the runs, I mean, we, we were running the ball consistently. But I was sitting there, and I'm like, you have them on the heels. They're probably expecting you to try to eat the clock. One shot. Just like one shot, get Caleb, rotate, get that safety to move over. When we didn't. But, you know, that's okay. We got down inside the 10-yard line, and then we fumbled the ball. And right there, if, if we don't fumble at all, it's a chip shot. And it's yep. a fourteen-point lead in a game decided by a point, where they only scored thirteen. Excuse me, yeah, fourteen in the last, you know, couple minutes there.
0: Yeah, but, and and it's one of those things where we had the momentum. We were we were we were pushing them. We were pushing. Them. We were pushing them. And you know, I I know it's not a it's not a garbage play. I, I know it was legitimate. We gash him. We gash him. Georgia Tech's defensive tackle goes down with a shoulder shoulder injury. Pulls the guys off the field for two to three minutes. We get back on the field. Very first play is the fumble. And so it's, it's like and, as soo- th- as soon as that as soon as we had the momentum taken away from us there for a second, the composure's lost. And then as soon as that fumble happened, it felt like here we go again
1: here yep. and again and it's 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 like that the the person that can't finish just takes the air out and immediately they go on that big 90 yard drive um and and it stunk but i'll ask you this okay so it comes out of that we run the ball again are you okay with that because clearly you're at the 10 yard line uh, again i, I push for it again aggressiveness uh, to me i think Right there, don't you feel like
0: they're just going to key in on the run? It does. So I have no problem with it because it's a first down run. Okay. Okay. And he gets, he would have gotten six yards. yards. Oh, yeah. He, had, he, he, he had would get four to six get, yards on that run. And you're down even closer to the goal line. You just so, got a whole the ball. I mean, it's situational. You, you got to know ball protection trumps everything that goes stage in the game.
1: Well, and then, obviously, you know, they go and score, cut it to a five-point lead at that point in time. Yep. Yeah, five-point lead. And then we, we're we driving again. We're on their side of the field, and Grant Wells throws an interception. They subsequently take that one, would take it down, and that would be them with the go-ahead touchdown. And once again, you're you're right on the doorstep of field goal range. There's so many different things. And, I like, th- this team continuously just shoots its foot off every week yeah. in some way, shape, or form. And, it, and as a fan, it's disheartening. I mean, the only upside I continue to hear is at least it's not – and I know some people will laugh and say, at least I don't have to hear about execution all the time. At least I hear coaches – At least I hear Brent Pry say it's on me as a coach to make this right versus – because there was nothing more infuriating last three years, especially, four years. Well, it's
0: the execution of the game
1: when you're like – We we know.
0: We we know. We we know you got to execute. I mean – But what are you doing? And there – so, I mean, that's the thing is that, you know, obviously some of this is on the players, and we had that discussion last week. And we continue. And, to and, and we'll talk about it again a little bit this week. You know what, what's on the players, what's on the coaches, what's on kind of a shared responsibility. But you know, at least we're we're getting the right things after the fact. I think the fan base in general is just kind of we're apathetic. We 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 haven't gotten a win in so long. It's it, you know it it kind of is what it is at this point.
1: Last time we got a win, it was 87 degrees outside and still humidity in the air. And now we're sitting this weekend, it's going to be, what, 60s? 60s, beautiful fall weather down in Durham, as we talk about Know the Enemy later. A um, couple other things. Obviously, something we missed, a 40-yard field goal because of a bad snap, which yep. sucks because when it's a one-point game, you just you start counting up all the points, right, Brian? It's like three plus three plus three, there's nine. It's a touchdown win. You you don't fumble the ball. You punch it in. You beat them by ten, and that's where you. That's where one thing
0: is again. If if you score the touchdown when you're inside the ten, the game is over. The game is over, um, because
1: they're going to be pressing. Um, let's just and then obviously we'll talk about Tucker Howland in a while. Hell of a return late in the game. We're almost at midfield, and with. 50 seconds left in college football, two first downs, get you to field goal range, stops the clock, gives you time probably to kick a field goal, and Grautwell fumbles the ball, his third turnover of the day. Um and and that just seems what it was, right? Great opportunities, every single one squandered. Yeah. And and as as much as as much as we can talk about the missed opportunities, I still feel like I look at this game. This is we played a bad defense, and somehow we only got just a little over three hundred yards. We only scored thirteen points. We only scored thirteen points. That is a yeah.
0: and, and and some of this is again when you look at it, the missed opportunities. True, like a, a thousand
1: percent. Because if so, you just, so, we, so we
0: had we, the, the points, I wouldn't you wouldn't have a big gripe about the points that the offense scored. If they yeah. had finished the drives that they got into scoring range. Because it would have been a twenty. At, you'd at least be plus nine. Yeah. If you just execute in the red area or just outside the red area. Very true.
1: Very, very Minimum true. plus nine. Minimum plus nine. Minimum plus twenty-two. But that's not the way it goes. Now, we did hit that three and a half number you talked about. So we did effectively run the ball. Um Grant Wells ran the ball a lot. But so to keep Probably Key. more
0: than I would have liked to. <laughs> I, I would have liked I mean as as effective as less. King as effective as King was for most of the game, he could have easily given me at least five more carries. And that, that probably puts him just, just north of a hundred. Yeah. Um other sad
1: stat on Saturday was just converting thirty three percent on third down. I mean Yeah it's it's the the only upside was we got you mentioned it to me we would get a couple first downs then we would go then we would go to third down and not get it so maybe again the silver linings we keep talking about well at least this against a bad defense we actually didn't just go three and out all the time we moved the ball occasionally um but again that's not good enough against a def- against it's it's competition right now the competition is not good and it struggles it struggles with things
0: um well, it, it's it's just odd i mean i know we had we had big plays against nc state that made that look probably better offensively than yeah score wise than it did in terms of executions drive by drive yeah this one we were a little bit better drive by drive but we when we weren't moving it into scoring range we weren't moving it at all
1: yeah so is, is that your? Can you juxtapose that? So is that a couple of your bright
0: spots? On yeah, offense? yeah. I, I mean, I think if when you look at bright spots, more sustained drives this week, and again, probably the best rushing game since Pitt. That, that, I probably that—that's that, two things positive that you can glean from this this effort. All right.
1: I mean, okay. I mean, but then you know. Back more false start penalties four, So how many does that make in the last two weeks? More than we should ever have. <laughs> four should be a max in a game. Cause it should yeah. be gonna, I, I, just, I mean, four,
0: four is an improvement. <laughs>
1: well, yeah, but good Lord. We set the standard. Absolutely atrocious when you have 10. Um, I think I've hit the wall this week because I, I like I can't I can't find bright spots this week. I, I can't. I I look at it and I can't find any bright spots. I'm on, I'm almost crusty. You know. I remember, do. You remember that. Remember the yeah. old. I got nothing. Dip. So nothing. I, I can Zilch, nada. Not a. Nah. I have nothing anymore for the offense because it's 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 one it's I think it's 120 now total we're significantly lower I want to say like 108 scoring it's 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 nothing there and I think it's more of the frustrating points of you give me a little bit and then it just looks bad give me a little bit it looks bad like be consistent. Could you just be bad one game? I mean, just be atrocious one game, kick a field goal, get nothing else. At least I can say, well, at least we're just bad versus you know, for the second and third quarters, you know, we were okay. But that is yeah. what it is.
0: Yeah. Um let's flip we over to two, de- we put it we put another two quarters together this time instead of just the one.
1: There you go. All right, let's let's flip over to defense.
0: Um and I think I think this was
1: the worst game of the season. What about you?
0: Considering the quality of opponent, the yards and points surrendered, I'd say, yeah, I'd say that, yeah, that's probably the the worst overall effort from the defense this year. Yeah, and, and
1: in case you didn't look at the stat lines, we gave up over 200 rushing, over 250 passing to Pyron, the man that Brian said, if Sims didn't go, we should see, and we did see him, and he's a freshman, of course. Um, but it's more of just the averages, right? I, I, I'm an averages person. I look at averages a ton because where you net from averages kind of indicates your performance. And for us that week, this is a this is an offense that was barely putting up 300 yards. They put up 450. This was an offense that was barely barely getting 16 points a game, and they put up 28. Yeah. And and, and you know that's what that's what gets me is I look at the average if it's a if it's a 10 to 15% increase whether scoring or yard that's fine cuz weird things happen in games um but when it's that much and I mean it's legitimately a 50% increase across all lines that's just uncalled for and it just says you know what was going on with the defense on Saturday
0: yeah and it's really i mean you look at the the Tate, I mean, it was really a bad opening quarter and a bad fourth quarter. I mean, there wasn't a whole lot of yards surrendered in the middle there. We, they had a couple drives that got at or near the 50, but for the most part, it was it was a good second and third quarter. It was just really, really bad uh, kind of on the bookends there.
1: It And those drives weren't like, 60-yard drives, they were 90s and 75. They were big drives. Yeah. yeah. They were big drives. You, I mean,
0: you, t- you take away the drive that, where they got three to close the half. I mean, yeah. they really did a pretty good job in the second and third quarter. Yeah. Um, And, and I'll say this. Of all the
1: times this year, I, I've been upset at a lot of things. I think this is the first time I've been upset with prize uh, play calls. Because on that third and 19, after they sack Pyron and they're in his face, and say what you will, he didn't know what the hell to do. He did not know what to do with five and six coming after him. We take a timeout, and we run a two-man under. Thank you, Brian, for that information. (laughs) Three-man rush. We spy versus attacking. It makes no sense because if you attack – At least that ball has to come out really quick. Where he got, if you count, it was about he got three seconds when McCullum came across. Three seconds. Where if you've been blitzing six, he had a second and a half. And that ball – Mansoor has still been in McCullum's hip pocket. I don't get that play call. And it's the first time I was really like, what are you doing? We saw this script at NC State. We saw the script with down and distance at NC State, and
0: the same thing happened. So, when you look at it, too, um, by being able to hold it that long, he was able to let the receiver kind of use the referee as a pick. Yep. So, Delaney had to go over the top of the ref, gave up probably another few yards of cushion there. Uh Uh-huh. And now, now, you know, you're talking about instead of him getting there and probably it being fourth and four or five, you know, you get the first down. It's true. And if it's fourth and four or five, number one, you got a better chance of getting the stop on fourth. If they go for it. number two, they might punt. They had been conservative with the punt all game. Um, they, they might would have punted from that position. So. Very true. They may, or they may not
1: have, um, at that point. And, but we'll never know. Right. We'll never know because
0: to me, we ran the wrong coverage. Um, we, we put – so, for what they did, I mean, it was the perfect play against the defense that was called. It, it just was. I mean, they, they got into the right play. I don't know whether that was the play they had before they called the timeout or not. Yeah. But but they got into the right call for the defense that we were in. Yep. All right. Now, there were
1: a true – you know, as, as mad as I am and as crusty as I want to be, uh, there were two young guys who absolutely flashed. And obviously, let's talk about the first. Tucker Holloway in the punt return game. Holy crap did he blow up. You know, he goes in, he breaks the Virginia Tech all-time record. And it's like you sit here and you think about everybody that did it, right, Brian? Yeah, I mean, we've had some –
0: I mean, we're not like Miami in terms of elite punt returners, but we're, we're up there. We're up there. But we are not garbage, and it's like, you know, he goes up there
1: and he – obviously the 90-yard house call, which was just a beautiful way of setting up him finding the lanes, moving, and then turning on his jets. Um, But 188 yards, he averaged 27, and it was every time. And then, you know, he got a chance, um, you know, late in the game. He gave us a
0: chance to get – in, in the field, field goal, goal range to win the game. He did. And, and so, that's on top of already
1: scoring a touchdown. On top of scoring a touchdown, on top of flipping the field on numerous occasions. Yeah. And and now it's the question of and we'll talk about it. We're gonna we're gonna kinda cut the the recap a little short because with three games left, we got some things we want to talk about tonight. But we'll talk about him and the potential red shirt in a few time in a few minutes here. The other young guy, the Kalilos, oh my god, he jumped the shit out of that
0: route. Holy moly! Oh yeah, um, jumped it and, and had the wherewithal to secure it and get take it to the end zone too. So, um, I mean, he, he's flashing more and more. Um, and he, he he struggled in the first quarter, and then he turned it on the from the there game. on out. Yeah, he had a really good rest of his rest of that game.
1: Rest of the game, I mean, and that's great. So seeing that's young
0: great. guys flash like that, I mean, that at least gives you. Hope. Hope of things to come, um, but you know, like I said, it, it's difficult trying to trying to pick out the silver linings here with with uh, with so many straight losses and two back to back in devastating fashion. Yep. Well, let's talk about this, Brian. Um,
1: you know, someone we know in a tweet that he made on Saturday afternoon, Don V. The response was someone out there put out. Fuente would have this team at least four and four, or at least five and four, something like that. And Don made the comment the person who made that, you're absolutely right. He's right. But it goes back to the car analogy. And that is a car can be beat to shit where you got to fuck with the ignition, got to give it some gas. You don't take off too fast at the stoplights. So, yes, the owner of that car knows how to drive it. But if he gave it to you or me, we wouldn't be able to get five inches. And I love that. I love Don V's analogy there because, yeah, I think we would be four or five wins with Justin Fuente at the helm right now because he knew how to run this car. Yep. Um, And I sit here, and I think a lot of people are still very bullish on Brent Pry. I know some people are – Saying, "Oh, this doesn't look good. This doesn't look good,"
0: but it ain't like we're far. It's not like every game is a three-touchdown loss, right? Yeah, I mean, we're not out there getting smoked. We're we're out there still competing. We're just doing a whole lot wrong to stop the any progress that we could make in this in towards winning more games, and we're <laughs> seeing that happen consistently. It, it, it's it's the You know, one step up, two steps back. It's it's shoot yourself in the foot. Um, There's just there's so much that, like I said, when when you find the silver linings, they're there, but it's hard to feel the silver lining when you're in the midst of losing so many games in a row.
1: Absolutely. By the way, I just got a message here. The know the enemy. This is from Faust, somebody we communicate with on Twitter a lot. The the know the enemy should be the Hokies this week. Because we were going to royally screw ourselves in some way this week against Duke.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> that was very cool to see. Yep, Bryant Cobb, the the, the all those guys from twenty twenty three with that video, even after the loss, was very cool to see that. And um, we still
0: had a bunch of bunch of uh, recruits on the sideline. Um, you know, got a preferred walk on commit to yep. close out the weekend. So, I mean, there there were some positives in terms of long-term to kind of take yeah. away from everything. But again, it's hard to hard to feel that when you're in the, uh, when you're in we're in the thick of things.
1: That's very true. So let's flip it, Brian, because normally we'd still be talking more data points, plays and all that stuff, but we, we were, we're going to sit here and um, let's talk about what we want to see the last three weeks. Um, and what we want to see now the one thing um that i i listened to the presser today on um good evening lavar as always we appreciate you joining us um i i listen literally to so many interviews on time and a half now and every podcast is on at least time and a quarter gotta gotta get it in there but (laughs) A thing that Brent Prime mentioned, and I want to ask you if this is something you guys did potentially back twenty years ago, was he's been mentioning they've been doing developmental scrimmages, about twenty plays every Sunday of guys who are not playing at all. What are your thoughts on that? And is that something you've seen in the
0: past? Um we didn't see that a lot at Hamden-Sidney, so um, that's something kind of new in, in, in my realm, but it kind of makes sense for two reasons. Number one, you look at the overall talent in this roster, add to that some of the, the veteran leadership that is departing this roster at the end of the season. So when you look at that, we're going to need – as as many young guys are stepping up this year, we're going to need just as many stepping up next year. Absolutely. Um, And some of these guys are full on coach Pry guys. And some of these guys are still still learning the ropes and still guys that were recruited by Justin Fuente. So I think some of that is, Hey, we're going to need you next year. I think some of this is a way to get guys acclimated and say, Hey, you're going to be a part of what we're doing next year. Try to deter some of the, uh, the portal jumpers and things like that as we kind of close out the year.
1: Got it. All right. Sounds good. Well, let's, let's jump and let's talk next week. What we want to see on offense and it's quarterback. I just do this, Brian, cause I don't know what the hell we should do. What do you think?
0: I, I think, I think you're at a crossroads um, because I think we've seen, we, we know what we're getting from Wells. And I think a lot of this depends on where the coaches are in the process. Um, if the coaches think that Wells is gonna need to be one way or the other, kind of the answer the next two years, God, God help us. But at the at the same time, that, that you don't you don't pull a guy if he if if he's gonna be your guy the next two years. Now, if you're out, or if you want a a, a full on, you know whether you bring in a. A transfer. whether you work with some of the young guys, if you're going to have a full-on open competition again next year, then it's time to play somebody else. The only threat of that is that if, you know, if, if the team perceives Wells as the best opportunity to win games, does that lose your locker room in the short term with a coach saying, hey, we're building for the future, these last three games or these last three games. So okay. do, does, you know, and, and that's kind of what – I think a coach has to weigh when you start throwing in young guys just for the reps or just yeah. to see what you got. I think that that's the risk that you run is that you might lose the locker room, especially for some of the, the veterans or some of the guys that are, you know, yeah. still have some eligibility left, but you know, are, are a little bit higher up in terms of their time in Blacksburg.
1: Yeah. I mean, and probably mentioned like you want to, you want to respect your seniors, but you also kind of know you've got to let some of these young guys see the field, feel that live game action. And, and as far as quarterback, you know, if you say he's the guy the next two years, then okay, you bet that they are going to have to nail at least two starting offensive linemen. You're at gonna least have two to starting offensive linemen. You're going to have to
0: at least at least one wide receiver. Three.
1: Three. You've got to get two proven guys. Running back, it's fine. It's just you've got to find a way to keep Malachi. And actually, let's flip to that. Running back room, Malachi's doubtful again this week. I think right now, if you're Brent Pryan, you're that staff, you just look at Malachi and say, you're clearly injured again. We're shutting you down. We're yeah. going into more of a slow rehab to get you ready for winter workouts and spring ball next year.
0: At this point, you and playing doesn't, doesn't help us. Nothing. And Long it doesn't time. help
1: him. It doesn't help him. Does it honestly help Malachi Thomas coming off
0: of an injury and showing what no. he's got? He's we shown lead back. He he's shown lead back potential. He's gonna be the lead back next year. So yes, he will. And we mo- need to it, get a, it, he needs to get another offseason in this strength and conditioning program, go into spring and fall fully healthy, and be ready to contribute. Yeah.
1: And the other thing is as far as he goes. He's already shown that with a significant injury, he can bounce back and immediately be ready to play. Yeah. When he stepped on that foot that field after he had been out with the uh, with the leg injury, he immediately showed he could play. So I think like we, we know you can do this. Let's be smart about it. Um, so I do think the next couple of weeks, even though I think he got banged near the end of the game, you're looking at King as your lead back. And obviously Duke and Black have been getting their chances, continue to give them their chances. They have been playing special teams. And I think maybe, you know, you give somebody like Kenji Christian some potential run during the game um, because he's already redshirted. Yeah. he He hasn't played any this year. It's one of those maybe you carve out a series, you say if we get to this score, you're in. I don't know. I just I think again. I want to see guys what they do on the field, kind of like we've seen Bryce Duke. We've seen Bryce Duke be decisive in his runs. We've seen him be able to catch passes and assist in special teams. We don't know his ceiling, but right now I think me and you can comfortably say with Bryce Duke, he has he has a what do I I don't call it he has a contributor potential next year. Yeah, same with James Black. Chance Black shown that he can help on special teams. I think he's learning his way around as a running back. But, again, contributor in some way. We don't know Christian if he is where he is yet, and I think that's what I would like to find out about him.
0: Yeah, um, I'm with you, especially on Duke. I think we need to get him as much of a role in the next three games as we can. Um, What Black does, whether it's heavier or lighter than what he's been doing, the whole year. It kind of, it is what it is. He's, his red, you know, he's, he's already had a red shirt year. Um, I think he's ready to, you know, stay in that contributor role. So, and when we look at Christian, you know, he's the one that we don't really know a whole lot about. No. Um, you know, he slid kind of up and down the depth chart in spring and fall. So I don't really know what to make of what his role will be with this team going into the offseason. If you can get him some time to where he he can maybe show out, then maybe at least we'll kind of know where he stands there. All right, all right. Um, What do you think about the wide receiver tight end room? Uh, I mean, at this point, outside of Caleb, you might as well go full youth movement. Um, Give me more... Gosnell, give me more Moss, give me more Jones. Um, let's see Holloway line up at wideout. Okay, and we're going we're gonna to start arguments again. Um, <laughs>
1: because he was already advised he's playing this week. If he plays this week, that's four. Until you do yep. not get him the last two weeks. I am on the train of you trying at wide receiver just to get in the reps just to see it.
0: Well, I think he's shown obvious... Special teams, he's he's dynamic, right? Upper so, upper
1: upper echelon special team.
0: Yeah, he's he's dynamic on special teams, and that's an area that we have struggled mightily with all year. So he immediately gives you a boost in that area. So I say let's get him some more reps at wide out, see if he can give us a boost in those areas as well. Right. I say and if this- if that means burning the red shirt, then burn the red shirt. Bind burn. burn the red shirt. Some
1: people are saying don't burn the red shirt. We might need him much later in his
0: career. And My point is if, if if it's if it's year five of, <laughs> of Tucker Pry- Holloway's career and Brent Prize tenure, and we need Tucker Holloway in order to have a competitive wide receiver room, we've got bigger problems than a burnt red shirt. All right.
1: All right, let's talk about this. I think um, the other guys, they've already burned them. Just let them play. Let them rip, especially if you're potentially saying – see, I think starting Wells, he still could be in a battle next year. You're just saying you want to rep him with guys who are here and give you the best chance for those guys to succeed and potentially not lose the locker room. Um, Tight end room, I think Harrison St. Germain was used very early. We have not seen him since uh, West Virginia. They're clearly red-shirting him. Um, yeah. But what, was, what what do you think about... Uh, I think I know where you're going to go with this, but what, what, Daquan Wright? Where, as he many goes? reps
0: as possible.
1: Right, as might. many
0: snaps as possible. All right, so is he completely taking the Drake role? I think he fully takes the Drake role in whatever hybrid role we've got for Connor. I think he occasionally we'll take some of the the snaps that you would give to gala you give it to Wright. all right because his his red church burn
1: that was his fifth game last week against georgia tech where he got zero targets um but he
0: played uh, one target zero receptions one target excuse me I it was it. thrown it it was he was thrown it he had double coverage on him and he, he got a target that was his only all target right. All right, so Brian's basically saying get Daquan right,
1: absolutely fully prepared for his roles next year of doing everything. Um, so, got it. Let's flip to the offensive line. Uh, the big one that I had on here that kind of got kiboshed today while I listened to the press conference, that's unfortunate, it was I was like let, let Braylon Moore out snap uh, Jesse Hansen. Brent Pry comes up. Nope, they are preserving his red shirt. And but why do you think that is? I mean, he clearly offers in the run game, especially he offers a hell of a lot more than Hanson. I, I know you said it. You said it to me. You said it on here. He's learning how to pass pro, but but why? But why hold it? Why Why not just let him play and learn more?
0: Because it, I think if we need any area for long term depth, it's offensive line. And if and if we think we have a multi-year starter in Braylon Moore, then I think that that's that's the right move here. Especially if in the short term he's not giving you a significant boost over Jesse. Obviously, he's not. There, there are areas where he is deficient, or we would see him in the game full time right now. Right? He wouldn't just be a guy that's in there on certain packages or certain series. He'd be a full-time player right now. So there's obviously a reason that Jesse Hansen's still in there. Give more another year of development. <laughs> I'm, I'm taking the opposite <laughs> point of view here because there's not a significant boost in that area, right? At least in the I, short term. And, uh, I, I know. In the short term, yeah. I just, to me, it,
1: I'm, I'm one that would say I see him run block, and he is, he's an 85 in run block. Jesse's a 75. He's like a 60 in pass row, Jesse's a 75. So it's they even out, but Jesse's you can just say Jesse's average in both where he's significantly he's he's a D in the pass row. So I get what you're saying there. Um what about at center? <sighs>
0: I think we got to get Hollyfield in there at some point, just to see what we have. Whether that's in, yeah, it, it's hard right now because you still want to try to win games. Um, there's, you know, there's no, there's no honor in just getting guys in there to get guys in there. You're still trying to win the game, so you can only do but so much when it comes to center because that is kind of the, the the brain of the of the offensive line. So that's probably the one position, not only just because I have no idea what I have in Jack, but also because I know at least, bottom line, what I'm going to get out of Johnny every game. It's a little bit harder, but I'd like to see them get at least maybe a handful of series for him in the next three games.
1: Well, see, the the thing I'm, I'm more worried about than anything is the next year, and Johnny Jordan's not coming back. He's fully exhausted everything, and you're going in with your – somebody just scored a touchdown behind me. I don't know who it was. They did. Look look (laughs) that up. Nice nice run there. Um, That Johnny's not coming back next year. And right now, your three potential centers are Jack Hollyfield, who will be a redshirt sophomore, Hunter, who will be a redshirt freshman, or Johnny Dixon, who will be a redshirt freshman. To me, it's – you talk about a handful of series – Uh, Yeah, I think – I would say I'd be comfortable because Jack's already burned his red shirt. He's at least been playing a ton on special teams. So he's at least seeing game action. But I'd say two – I would like to say 12 series by the end of the season. Just because if he struggles out there snapping the ball or like, okay, do we need to go portal shopping while we get Jack acclimated next year?
0: I um, think we're going portal shopping for a center, regardless. So I think your point might be moot. Okay. Uh, obviously, ahead. we still got to land that center. Yes. Um, <laughs> but you know that that that's kind of my thought there. But yeah, it, it'd be good to know at least what you have to a point. Um, I just don't know. I don't foresee us being out of any of these remaining games, even though I think we potentially could lose all three of them. We could potentially win all three of them, but I, I don't see us being blown out in any of these games.
1: I got you. I got you. I got so you. So
0: I, I don't, I don't know if you'll have an opportunity where you feel comfortable as an offense saying, Hey, let's just throw red shirt freshman in its center, <laughs> center. <laughs> and see, and see what we got here. Uh, uh, Especially down, uh, down, down three in the fourth quarter. True. <laughs> True, true, true.
1: All right, so what about kind of the rest of the young guys? You know, I I mentioned um, Dixon and McLean, Meadows, Chaplin. Do you think they all get – is that a little easier than center to
0: give them some run? It's easier because, number one, I think we've seen other areas struggle more, and I think we kind of know what we can get – from these other guys, okay. a little bit more at this point. We've seen Meadows in a game already, um, game or two, actually, I think. Um, we've seen, you know, some of these other guys. I'd like to see Chaplin because I feel like Chaplin could, you know, give us a little something there. It, you know, we saw Parker slide over to left tackle some this past week. Um, whether Chaplin works in it left or right and Parker slides over just to give a different look there. I don't know. I know it sounds suicidal, uh, <laughs> moving, a, moving a struggling tackle over to left instead of so, right, but we haven't been able to hide him at right. We might as well see what he can do at left. At least
1: you can put somebody on left. Right. I mean, uh, you know, it, it, something to be done there. All right, let's flip over to defense, Brian, and let's start out in the secondary because it has been one of the brighter spots. Um, with Strong out again, I I think Strong's getting a red shirt. I think they've already had the conversation with him. And I think it's one of those – again, so much of what's going on and who we're seeing is you know Braylon Moore can play to a level. We know Dorian Strong and Malachi can play to levels. And Dorian, in this case, a lot stronger. It's almost just like, dude, get healthy. You going out here does nothing for you in the long run. In the long run, it does nothing for you. You're going to be a redshirt junior next year. It'll be your fourth year. If you have a breakout year, you lose nothing, you move on, if you have a great year.
0: Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm right there with you. Definitely redshirt him. Um, I think we've looked at Cam Johnson now. He's he's gotten in for two games. Pick another two that he can uh, get some run when he's healthy. Last two, uh, I and- think you,
1: you given this week to get fully healed.
0: Yeah, I'm with that. So, and then you get Devin Alvis in there. Um, he's been mentioned, give him some run. You know, you got these guys that are showing they could contribute early, you know, give them the opportunities to contribute early. And when we flip over to linebackers, I mean, Tisdale still has a COVID year. Does he decide to come back next year? I hope um, so. I, th- I think that's kind of where we're looking at. Um, because he's shown that probably of everybody that's currently on the roster, the best ability it will. Yes, 100%. And obviously it took half a season to get there between everything he was dealing with with the eligibility thing. So, you know, you, you, you hate to see that because that that's probably the area on defense that we struggled to find consistency throughout the first half of the season. 100%. 100%. And we were mixing oh, and matching between young guys, you know, yeah, guys that had been on the roster that hadn't seen a dollar time, things like that. So we finally got some consistency once Tisdale was back. Yep. Let me
1: ask this, um, because I think Tisdale comes back. Any chance Tisdale moves to Mike?
0: I don't think so. Okay. Um, I right. I ask you because I, 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 you're I more think the it's, it's, than I, me. Th- I think what's more than likely if Tisdale comes back, Keller definitely moves to Mike.
1: Okay. Okay. All right. So. I was going to say in here, let Johnson and Keller and McDonald all get some run, too. So, obviously, if that's your feel, I still think you give them some run just to give them the more PT. But what do we do without it, Sam? We've seen all three guys, all three guys can can play it. They yeah. each have various attributes they bring um, to the position. I mean, do you try to leverage them? somewhere else or is, it, or is it or is it going to be one of those things somebody you, you hate to say it but is there going to be maybe a conversation where somebody is out the door come december because you know eventually to me they they've all been getting similar reps and you know
0: if and not, sucks, i'll say this sucks. if that's not, what if, sucks if, if, If not next year, definitely by the year after that, that's Lawson's job. Yeah. So we'll we'll say that. Um, And obviously, Jenkins has shown he can play it at a high level as well. Walker has shown, depending on matchups, he does pretty good as well. So, you know, right now, if there's an odd man out, I'd say it's probably Walker because I think Jenkins can hold it down until Lawson's ready to take it over full-time. Okay. All right. All right. Good deal, man. Let's flip next last before we close this out um,
1: and then go to one other piece. Defensive line, it's really tough because a lot of the younger guys are already playing. Likely everybody, but Garbett returns. Um, And I think the bigger piece is – if everybody's back, but Garbett, there's really not really much snaps to go around. You're going to let Garbett play, I think, just because Garbett's the best player we have on the line. But yeah, he, he, I he's guess playing at such
0: a high level. I mean, you're going to get him the amount of snaps he needs to get. Whatever he can go, he's going to go.
1: But there's no. But I, I I look at the defensive line throughout the year, and and you can you can tell me your opinion. There has not been any absolute, with the exception of West Virginia, where we got pushed around there's not been like atrocious line play. At times it's been really good, and most times it's been average or slightly above where you're like they're developing, you know. We we Mario Kendrick's has had has come on strong lately. Panay's continue to develop. You know, we've seen Nelson and McCray have moments. Like that's the one yeah, where I, I, mean, I can't The, find the only thing I'll say is, is
0: that we haven't The only thing I'll say is we haven't had a lot of success getting consistent pressure with just four. That's true. That, that that would be my only big critique of the unit. I think overall, especially in the run game, they've held up pretty well. All right.
1: Let's flip now and just talk about some off-season moves we'd like to see. I think the first is obvious. We've, we've put a number on here of at least a minimum of eight now. I still think the 12 to 15 that we've mentioned a couple of times should be it, but
0: a minimum of eight to start backfilling, if not more, in the portal. I'd like to see us hit at least double digits, but eight is the absolute minimum that I feel We like get less than be. eight, it, I think me and you start If we're less than eight, I'm i I'm worried
1: about next year. Significantly worried. And we say worry, we're not talking – Uh, Scrapping to get six and six, scrapping to get three or four. All right. Let me ask this. And this kind of goes on for the end of this year, too. The last three games, should Brent Pry go ahead and give the reins of the defense to Chris Marv to start that better focus on the head coach? The last three games, because you have your opportunities. Right now, and it doesn't – to me, it doesn't matter except for the development of Chris Marr. Uh
0: I think this goes back to the locker room discussion, right? So – Okay, yeah. Are, are we essentially – it depends on if you're treating these next three games as we're trying to win these games or if you're t- treating these next three games as developmental games. And if you're treating them as developmental games – have you had the right type of conversations with your players where they're uh-huh. on board with that? Cause right. that's going to matter because it's, again, <laughs> I know guys that are seniors or guys that you know are moving on. You don't really, you, you want to honor them at the same time, but you know, this is their last ride. What you don't want to do is lose guys that are the juniors and sophomores on this team and, 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 send a message to them that you're not doing I got the you. things you feel like you need to do to win, you. that you're well, looking the, too much forward.
1: Well, then let me ask this. Do you bring somebody for familiar with like Bob Shoup and almost have him as a second door mentor? I know Bud's in the building, but Bud's – okay, he's there sometimes, but obviously he's got a role as an ambassador, which is a little different. He's not there just grinding film away all hours of the night. Yeah, do he's not an some- analyst. Yeah, do you, do you bring somebody like Bob Shupin who worked with Brent Pry, who coached Chris Marv to sort of be that mentor constantly with him next year. And then the same thing I think, thing. Do you the, I bring think that'd somebody be a great for Bowen.
0: I think that'd be a great move. I think you definitely you definitely bring in a seasoned veteran analyst for Marv next year regardless. You bring in a seasoned veteran analyst for Bowen next year regardless. Ralph Region, his coach. Uh, one of the, I mean,
1: and, and literally uh, one of the okay. best, say what you want to say, one of the best offensive coaches in college football the last 30 years with the talent that he had and how he was able to make them produce. I mean, he's 75. He, he helped at Rutgers last year. I mean, I think we're going to need, I think the biggest thing we're just leading to in this conversation is. There's going to be some special assistance specifically next year. Could it yep. be for each of the young guys on that? Could Brent Pry essentially bring himself someone, a, a, a known head coach, in to be with him? And I sit here and I look at Texas and they've got Gary Patterson on the sideline. I don't know if Gary wants to get back in the game or not. Because I feel like a lot of these guys who are football junkies, those analyst roles, they just love, right? It's like, I don't have to worry about the media. I don't have to really worry about the players or recruiting. You know what I get to do? I get to break down film. I get to scheme. Yeah, is that something in a guy like Patterson who was very big and still had a hand in his defense as every year went on? You know, is it one of these things of how you control that? It's it's going to be interesting. I think what scares us more is if come March. maybe not March. Summertime, there's not any of these rolls, and we're just rolling at it again, especially after going, um, you know, not going to a bowl. All right, Brian, let's roll over some other Hokies news and college football notes. Basketball season has begun, and last night, both Hokie men's and women's hoop tipped off at Castle. Hokies uh, men played Delaware State in an easy 95-57 win. Basil Basile led the way with good games from Padula and Maddox. Be dead honest with you, Brian. Didn't watch a minute. Followed it. And it didn't take long for the team to get up, like, 20. And it was just like, yeah, this is over. I yeah, went, to bed and yeah, went to the that, finals
0: that, that, that was a whipping. Um, and it was good to see them be that crisp out the gate. Yep. regardless of competition. Uh, yeah, regardless. regardless of competition, I, I uh, you know, I think – we. And I think we kind of knew it coming in this year. I think we're going to maybe take a small step back overall defensively, but this is a much more potent offensive team.
1: No. So we'll see. I know they've got more games this week, and it's kind of that balance try to watch some, try not to watch some. Let's talk about women's hoops as well, who are ranked 13th in the country. Absolutely blows the doors off Mount St. Mary's 101 45. I looked at that in the first quarter and it was 23 to five at the end of the first and the same thing. It went through my head. Well, that game's over. Um, but a great showing, you know, by both teams last night to get the, to get the season started. Um, obviously some bigger games in the subsequent weeks in which we'll be kind of keeping an eye on a little bit closer. Yeah. Also in news, women's soccer makes the tournament. They'll be playing West Virginia, who's a national number seven seed uh, this weekend. So, again, good things there. Uh, Obviously, they pulled that upset of UVA earlier this year. So, again, good for them, good for the program. It's just building more and more.
0: Yep, big big stuff happening in the fall uh, for that soccer team. So that's that's been big. And now that we have basketball back, it's just going to be even more – fun stuff to watch day in day out throughout the week absolutely
1: all right let's flip it real quick before we head to break here college football playoff rankings are released again tonight your top four are georgia ohio state michigan tcu makes a big jump into the top four tennessee five oregon six and lsu as a two loss team jumps all the way up to seven how are you feeling about this thus far brian
0: uh, we talked yesterday. I, this is exactly what I thought was kind of going to happen, more or less. I, I, I said LSU could potentially go as high as six. They're
1: at
0: uh, seven. They're at seven. Uh, I, I didn't think Tennessee was going to fall any further than six, so that was, six was kind of my buffer there. Uh, TCU jumping big, big, yeah. They were yeah. Big. That that that's probably the most surprising, but it doesn't necessarily shock me. Nah. They're not they're enough. They're, they're putting together a good resume. So, I mean, it doesn't shock me. And, you know, Michigan is kind of the, you know, that's all going to come down to what happens when they play Ohio State. Yeah, Thanksgiving that That's an elimination game.
1: It is an elimination game. And it's also one of the reasons I think in the very near future the Big Ten is going to scrap divisions just like everybody else is. Because yeah. there's no, like – because if you have that game and they're both one's twelve and one, and then the other's thirteen and zero, and they're playing ten and three across conference, like no rematch this next week in Indy.
0: Well, as bad Speaking as the Coastal is, the Big the Big Ten West might be worse this year. Not a lie, not a lie. By the way, did you
1: watch the end of the LSU Alabama game? Yes, I did. I am not the biggest Brian Kelly fan, but that was balls. That was absolute ball because he just basically said, "I this is it, yeah." The game's going to end right here on one play, and I love that. Even though I mean, he not said like we're that. not
0: doing this again. Let's let's go ahead. We're going we're going to end this thing.
1: And they and they He's... knock off Alabama. Who some pundits are still well, you know, they have a chance to get in. They lost two games. Can we? And that's why I don't like LSU at two. They've been proven they can beat twice, and LSU has lost two times on essentially their home field. That's a One family. was a
0: neutral site. Oh. <laughs> oh, New Orleans is really neutral for Baton Rouge. Absolutely oh, no, I'm
1: just kidding. <laughs> Lord have mercy. All right, Brian, before we uh, get into Know the Enemy Duke, we are going to take a quick pause for a message from our digital partners.
0: As we take a quick break, we'd like to tell you about getting your free website report from our digital partner, Grassroots Digital Marketing Studio. They'll tell you how your website ranks on Google, on-site SEO, and social media. No commitment to buy anything. You can get your free report by visiting grassrootsdigitalstudio.com forward slash free dash website dash report. Now back to the episode.
1: All right, Brian. Well, Let's get into Know the Enemy and with the Duke Blue Devils who come in at six and three under Mike Elko. Let's talk about the quarterback. Let's talk about Riley Leonard, who was a composite three-star coming out of Fairhope, Alabama, in the class of 2021. Decent offer list. Had some interest from Nebraska and Ole Miss. Anytime I see Ole Miss with a quarterback, it immediately makes me perk my ears because, for some odd reason, Lane Kiffin knows what to do with quarterbacks. And so far this season, you know, he's had a really great season. Let's just be honest with it. You know, over 1,800 yards passing, 11 touchdowns, just four interceptions, um, right at 64% completion. But the the crazy part, and you're going to mention it here in just a second, over 500 yards rushing, averaging over six to carry, nine touchdowns on the ground. What are you seeing not only from his passing, but from his legs?
0: Yeah, we'll start with the first one. Um, He's got great timing with his receivers, which is kind of what, what has helped them throughout the, the season. Um, he's not afraid to throw into tight windows, but he does. those are calculated risks. They're not bad balls or dangerous balls, but they are definitely tight windows. Uh, his accuracy is above average, but his footwork in the passing game will occasionally let him down, get into trouble where he's making some bad throws uh, or get some bad balls in there. Uh, he feels the rush pretty well, gets the ball down quickly to a check at check down or, or one of the the quick routes, uh, in the set there. But to me, his biggest threat is the ability to rush, um, threat to take off both in zone re game, scramble drill, all that, um, had a big run against BC where he showed a little bit of wiggle and ability to finish the run, um, down the sideline, um, Sometimes, though, he lets that that ability to run hurt him because sometimes he'll bail on good pockets just to pick up some positive yards with his legs. So sometimes he'll bail on that, take the four or five he can get with his legs when there could be more potential there.
1: All right, that sounds good. Now, something that everybody should know is he is a sophomore, a true sophomore, because at the end of the David Cutcliffe era, starting in mid-October last year, He played significant snaps in every game but one, and that was the last game against Miami. So, essentially, Cutcliffe helps his predecessor by getting a somewhat decent quarterback coming out of uh, college or coming out of high school, you know, live game reps to the tune of he he had 62 attempts. He ran the ball over 47 times. So, a lot of in-game action. Um, really over a course of five game periods. Now, Brian, and,
0: and it showed. It showed. I mean, it looks like a, a guy that can handle the moment right out the gate. Absolutely.
1: Now, let's talk about it because you've already mentioned him running the ball. They've got a, a dynamic pair of running backs, and let's start with the first year, Jordan Waters, at a Fairmont High School in Fairmont, North Carolina, a force. Excuse me, a three-star, four out of two, four, seven. Um, You know, not the biggest list as far as getting offers. Obviously, you got some ECU and Wake offers, but what are you seeing from Jordan uh, Waters and what he does in their part of the run game?
0: Yeah, he's more of their kind of every down back, really good burst through the hole. Uh, He's great at setting up blocks and being patient at the point of attack by letting his blockers get fully engaged before he commits. Uh, He's not really a home run threat per se, but he gets quickly from that first to second level to consistently grab you those like five to eight yard chunk yards, occasionally breaking some into that 10 or 15 yard range. Um, And he runs through contact and and finishes his runs well. So he usually gets those extra one or two yards to close things out that you'd like to see from a running back. Yeah, and, and that really shows in his touchdowns. He's got eight so
1: far this year. So he's about snatching one a game. Right at five a carry, uh, 461 total yards. Um, and really this year compared to his last couple games receiving the ball. He has 16 receptions for 100 yards. That's not a huge number, but every time I see that, that tells me he they trust him to get out for checkdowns, which yep. we need to keep our eye on
0: with him. And, th- and that's pretty much what he does in the mm-hmm. passing game is checkdowns. The guy we're about to talk about is, is the guy they use a lot more in some design passes to the running back. Well, let's talk about him.
1: Jaquez Moore out of Suwannee High School in Live Oak, Florida. Three-star, coming out in the class of 2021. Um, Duke was his only Power 5 offer, and he's accepted. And Brian, from what I'm seeing, he's excelled at Duke so far.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, He's definitely more the receiving threat at running back than Waters – Uh, They like to throw it to him out on the edge, kind of let him operate in space, make some moves, break some tackles. Um, He's also effective in the zone re-game, especially when defenses lose contain and he can kind of hit that cutback. That's really his bread and butter. That's where he gets a lot of his big plays. And he is more of a second and third level threat than Waters. So if he kind of gets past that second level of the defense, he's the guy that can break a big one. Um, Whereas Waters is more of a... Get you the first down to establish the drive, carry you through where, whereas uh Moore can kind of break the big one on you if you let him get past that second level.
1: Oh, absolutely. And it shows in his yards per carry. I mean, he is almost at seven at six point eight. He's right under four hundred yards for the season. And, you know, a couple times when he's received when he's caught the ball out on those edge, you know, gains of, you know, twenty-three and a couple there at 15 when they were against Miami. So it's there. They don't look to him too often there, but I think what your point is they send him out there, which essentially takes away. And when you have a guy like that, it's taking a linebacker out. And why do you think Riley Leonard continuously is busting? Well, if there's one less guy in the box, you've already mentioned he's got the moves, easier for him to take off. Now let's talk about a former quarterback of Duke. Um, Let's talk about Jordan Moore, uh, out of Towson, Maryland, loyal to Blake Field. He is a class of 2021. He was a three-star 87 by 247 standards. You know, had some interest. We did send him an offer along with teams like Wisconsin, West Virginia, Pitt, Maryland. So a decent power five offer list. Um and that was as a quarterback. Now, I don't know if everybody was looking to convert him, but obviously Duke has decided to convert him. And uh, what are they doing with him so far?
0: Yeah, they're letting him run a lot of good underneath routes. Um, really dangerous when they put him in motion on swings. Sometimes they'll, they'll run a, wh- a wheel off of that. Um, shows really good quickness in the open field, but he's not a an elite straight line runner. So a lot of what he does is kind of stretch the defense horizontally and and, it makes them play in space. All right. And so we
1: kind of sit here and you ask, well, look at his, if you look at his stat line, it's going to confuse you because last year he played in 10 games as a true freshman and he did not have one reception. And he actually had 19 pass attempts last year for 95 yards and a touchdown. But he also ran the ball. He averaged five a run. And when you start talking about what you're talking about, Brian, it, I, I, how many times have we seen it in the NFL where there is a smaller quarterback who has those type of, uh, I guess you could say, traits, and they get to the yep. NFL and do it? It looks like Mike Elko went ahead and decided to turn it into one now. And so far this year, you know, receiving-wise – He's putting up really good numbers 331 yards on 32 receptions with three touchdowns. So, um, I mean, it's really good. It's to me, it's really good coaching, it's really good identifying what a kid can do.
0: Yeah, and I mean, he then, could be that next like Wes Welker, Julian Edelman type. Exactly, conversion. exactly. All right, well, let's talk about this
1: scheme a little bit, Brian. And it's a scheme of Kevin Johns. And Kevin Johns, long-time D1 coordinator uh, with stops at Texas Tech as the offensive coordinator, Indiana as the offensive coordinator. He was the pass game coordinator at Northwestern. He's been roughly coaching since 2002 where he started right here in Richmond um, on some of those good early 2002 Dave Clawson teams. What does he like to run and, you know, What are some of the things we can expect to see on Saturday from this offense? Yeah, so,
0: I mean, it's a smash-mouth spread offense. A lot of 11, 12 personnel. Occasionally they'll work in some some 21. Um, Heavy peppering of inside-outside zone read. You'll see counters, some pin-and-pull sweep, uh, some split zone in the running game. Uh, In the passing game, they like to stretch you horizontally to set up the vertical throws, which they don't do very often. Um, a lot of those are like kind of pick concepts to screw up their man responsibilities. Uh, but watching the BC Tate, uh, they went 40 plus offensive plays against BC before I saw the ball go more than 20 yards downfield. <laughs> oh, so they do kidding? not take, they do not take a lot of vertical shots. Uh, everything is kind of in that zero to 15 yard range.
1: Interesting, interesting, interesting. Um, what about the offensive linemen? I know they were a guy, a team that went out and got some FCS and some G5 offensive linemen, and it looks like it's actually paying off for them, wouldn't you say?
0: Yeah, they got guys that can run block pretty darn well and pass block good enough for the amount of time that they're, they're asking Leonard to stay in the pocket. A lot of this stuff is coming out so quick. They, they don't have to be great in pass per. They just have to be good enough. But they got guys that can run block very well, and and they put together an offensive line that is able to keep them on the field a lot yep. because they can and, run the football.
1: And three of their five starting offensive linemen that's showing on their depth charts are the transfers. Uh, Jack Burns is a guy that came from the Ivy League, Chance Lytle, and – Andre Harris came from G5, so it kind of just tells you what they did in the portal. And I did misspeak a few weeks ago. Shout out Fish out there. He actually got the right numbers. I don't know what the hell I was staring at. I swear it was more, but it is what it is. I'll say when I'm wrong, not afraid to do that. But it seems like they hit. You hit on three offensive linemen in the portal, and they're all not horrible. It'll
0: help a team out in a heartbeat. Well, they're all starters on your team, and they're giving you good snaps. I mean, every everybody that they got boosted the areas that they were deficient in. Well, well, let's flip it to defense, and let's talk
1: about one of the first guys, and it's probably the best defensive player on their team, and that's Darius Jordan. Darius Jordan transferred from FCS Western Illinois, where he was an All-American safety and so far this year, he is absolutely tearing it up. 71 tackles, seven of them for loss. He has three sacks. He has an interception. He has a forced fumble. He even has some pass deflections. How, how did a guy like, well, A had a guy like this not sneak off to the NFL? Because I'm assuming what you're seeing on his
0: tape, he's going somewhere in the first five rounds. Yeah, he's definitely going to go somewhere. Um, definitely the best athlete on the defense. Uh, Darius Joyner is stand out, jump off the tape when you look at it uh, in, in terms of everybody else on the defense. Great in run support, elite in pursuit. Um, they'll use him all over the field, single high, in the box, blitzing, spill and alley defender. Um, he's better as a deep or kind of mid-zone defender than he is in man. Man coverage is probably his only real deficiency in his game, but – I mean, he definitely stands out on tape, and, and he can make plays in the run game and in the pass game. Awesome. And, and again, the guy was at Western Illinois.
1: He originally went to Jacksonville State when he came out of high school, transferred to Western Illinois, and then winds up at Duke and is really showing out this year, which is great for that kid. Let's talk about the defensive line, because there's a few guys here I want to bring up. First, let's talk about the edge guy, Brian. Let's talk about R.J. Oben out of St. Peter's Prep in Jersey City, New Jersey, class of 2019, a three-star. What's he showing on tape? Because, you know, he's 6'4", 255, so that's the prototypical really good size and length for a college body,
0: probably missing about 15 pounds to make it to the pros. But what's he showing on tape? Yeah, I mean, he's a big, long defensive end, plays with good technique, uh, and that's that's kind of the the thing we'll talk about with the defense is that everybody plays with good technique on this defense, and I don't know if that's a carryover from the Cutcliffe stuff. Um, I know some of these guys are new new to the the field. Yes, they are. In terms of Joiner, but you know the guy we're talking about now um, plays the run well, holds and shoots the gap well. Uh, wrong arms, the puller with good force. He's not an elite pass rusher, but he puts himself consistently in position to make plays in the backfield. Uh, whether that's a quarterback pressure, a tackle for loss or a sack. Um, he's good at providing backside contain and setting the edge when he needs to. And he pursues well and can chase down plays from the backside as well.
1: Good to know. Good to know. So definitely look for him on some of those outside zone runs that we have seen in the last few weeks. But also, Brian, with what he's done, it's really opened it up for the big guy on the inside, Dwayne Carter. Dwayne Carter, uh, who from Pinkerton, Ohio, a three-star when he came out in 2019 out of Pinkerton Central, um, was originally thought to be going to Michigan State, but he shunned them a high three-star in 88 When he came out top 20 player in Ohio was a top 40 defensive tackle. So, you know, at six foot three and 300 plus pounds right now, you know, that's that's pretty good size and, you know, pretty good, you know, rating coming out of high school. Uh, Has Elko been able to really utilize him in a good
0: way this year? Yeah, I mean, he's really strong in the gap, plays with good leverage, uh, shows good quickness for a de- defensive tackle his size, he shoots that gap well, uh, big effort player, shows really good motor, uh, doesn't give up on plays, um, he doesn't use his hands as effectively as he could to shed blockers, that's probably really the biggest weakness in his, in his game right now, um, and he's not a, not an elite pass rusher. He's he's, he's just average, but he's okay. really effective, especially in obvious passing situations. All
1: right, makes sense. Makes sense. Um, and I'll say just the improvement for him is statistically like last year he only had seven and a half tackles for loss. He's already one and a half plus on that number this year. Four and a half sacks last year. He's already at that number this year with with you know three games to go on pace to probably be slightly above his tackles for last year. But here's where it scares the crap out of me after what we've had happen last week. The guy has had three forced fumbles. He's had three fumble recoveries, and he included a scoop and score. As much as we've turned the ball over, I look at that data and I go, oh, shit, that's not good, especially the guy (laughs) who's consistently at doing it because he did it four times last year.
0: That's worrisome.
1: Yeah. That's yeah. worrisome,
0: and and that's where he, he's strong in the gap. He shoots the gap well. So we're, we're sometimes getting into that area where the running back doesn't quite have that full full grip on the ball after the handoff or after the mesh. If he's able to <sighs> penetrate there quick, and and you know, he's playing right over the center most times, he's usually lined up in a one or a zero. We'll talk about that in a second. Sometimes in a three, but yeah, yeah, uh, right. you know, he's he's coming at you, all
1: right. Let's go real quick. Let's try to wrap this up. And before we get to the scheme, let's talk about two guys in the linebacker room. Usually we do four. We're doing five because it's another transfer. We're going to talk about at the end here. Who's making hay, but let's talk about the kind of the guy there. Shaka Howard, six foot four, 220 pound linebacker, a three-star when he came out of Mill Creek down in Georgia, one of those good schools down there. And so far this year, and so far, just in general in his career, he has been a productive player. This year, 66 tackles, four and a half for loss, uh, a sack, six pass deflexes, two fumble recoveries. But in his career, over 300 tackles. He has started, essentially, since his freshman year, over 300 tackles, over 30 tackles for loss, 10 and a half sacks, Interceptions i mean what more can you ask for from like a 86 that comes and plays at dukes putting up those kind of numbers
0: yeah i mean the big thing you know we talked about it already but he is a technically sound player uh, he tackles well reads offenses quickly um, he's better in coverage um especially uh zone coverage he, he can get a little bit on on, on an island there in man um he sometimes can get washed by a down block but he's really solid player, really good tackler. Um, and just a guy that is always in the right spot to make a play.
1: All right, let's flip over to the other guy who was another transfer. And that is cam Dillon cam Dillon originally attended Columbia in the Ivy league, had no other offers, not even rated by two, four, seven. And he's come down to Duke and, this year in sort of a – you'll mention in a second here, Ryan, but kind of a secondary role, 34 tackles, three tackles for loss, couple forced fumbles, and he's not playing every snap.
0: Yeah, he's kind of their spell, Mike, but he's also the primary nickel linebacker that they have on the field. Um, they like him as a blitzer. They'll also drop it in coverage, usually in a zone responsibility. Um, and he plays a great technique and he's he's a very good tackler he gets guys to the ground and and that's really where where his his biggest benefit is he's he's good at rushing the passer very good at getting guys to the ground when he's at, at a spot to make a play
1: that is awesome to hear but again it's it's a, it's a, i know we, we've said it three or four times it's like every guy they got in the portal significant contributor significant contributor significant contributor and that's where the portal game can do for you that if you yep. hit on – in this case, they hit on just about everybody, it can help your team. Brian, let's talk about real quick the defensive scheme. Um, obviously, this is a lot of Mike Elko in it. It is being ran by Rob Smith. Rob Smith, who last year was the defensive coordinator under Greg Schiano at Rutgers. He had also worked with Elko as an analyst back at AM, But he had also been a defensive coordinator at Minnesota in 27 and 2017 and 2018. Arkansas D coordinator in 2014, and 16. He also has some NFL experience with the Buccaneers. Um, so, and again, during Siano's first tenure, he was his defensive coordinator as well. So a really experienced guy as a DC. And what are you seeing from this defense?
0: Yeah, this is a four two five. Uh, it's a pressure heavy system. So we're very familiar with this. Um, team is very sound in technique. Some of that's a carryover from Cutcliffe. Some of that is finding the right scheme fit guys to kind of bring in and, and shore up uh, the areas that were deficient in the off season. Um, And the thing that, you know, we've seen some of this with the Hokies as well, but they run that split front uh, that five Oh five nickel package um, that creates some confusion against opposing offensive lines. And they bring probably a little bit more pressure consistently with it than we do at the, at the moment. So Yeah, well, I feel like every
1: time we've seen it, we're dropping nine. So, (laughs) I mean, so to me it would be like any pressure is more pressure than what we're doing right now. All right, Brian, let's flip real quick Let's because we're pushing almost one nine or an hour and a half already. We still got a couple things to talk about. Know the enemy. Let's talk about the Hokies keys. And I keep going back to this, and I'm going to keep going back to it. How we run the ball is – going to be where we are in this game. We, yeah. Three and a half was effective enough where we should have probably beaten Georgia Tech. I'm going to be nice and say we miss a field goal. We should have beaten Georgia Tech by a touchdown, um, not 10 points. But, you know, th- that's just kind of my feeling. I mean, this this is a decent d- defense. I mean, they're only giving up 23 points a game. So I, I, I've got a feeling it might be tough sledding again for the Hokies uh, offense. Yeah, definitely. the, the run game run game.
0: To, Yeah. The, and the, and the Hokies definitely have to establish that run game. Um, it doesn't have to be great, but it needs to be effective. And, and we've talked about it for several weeks. Now we, we've seen it have varying degrees of success. You know, we, this past week, I think if, if we'd have held onto the ball a couple extra times, I'd have been more or less happy with the run game. Um, uh, I, I think we've got a cap of what, what we can expect from this run game, and as long as it is efficient, meaning getting close to that four yards a carry, giving the ability to run any of that play action that we can or any of that max protect that we can, because yeah. we've been effective when we can go max protect on off a of play action and hit some of those deep shots. Uh, but you can't really set those up very well if you're not somewhat efficient in the running game. Somewhat efficient. And Duke's defense, run defense, is efficient.
1: They're 21st in the country. They're only giving up 124 yards a game under four, 3.7 a carry. So I think, Brian, it might go back to what you said last week. If we hit three and a half on 35 to 40 carries, that might put us in a good position again um, to potentially have a chance in this game. I'm going to flip to this next because this is the one that shocked me looking at defensive stats. A team that's six and three, I gave you the rush numbers. You know they're giving up under, you know, right at 23 points a game. How good do you think their third down conversions would be?
0: Uh, Pretty good. Middle of pack?
1: Middle no worse.
0: Somehow,
1: somehow, they're bad. 109th in the country. They are giving up almost 43% of third down conversions.
0: I sit here and I'll ask you, would you be happy with 40 (laughs) on Saturday? I'd be very happy with 40 since we've been consistently like below 35 uh, most of the year so far. So if we could get 40 or above, that'd be great. That'd put us at least in positions to stay on the field without having to rely on some of those chunk plays on early downs
1: it's a biggie right there
0: and, and and that's the big i
1: think a lot for this game is going to be the the game that the Hokies can win here is a low possession game i would say a 12 possession total game is how we can win that and as we talk about those conversions we talk about our run game but it's also going to be our run d against that run offense we mentioned three of the players we gave you the data brian gave you the breakdown on each This is a team that is a top 25 rushing team. They're getting over 208 yards a game. And as good as Waters and Moore is, I really think, Brian, that Riley Leonard's legs are the key. And when I say the key, I mean more of a key to this being a game that's tight in the fourth quarter or potentially them walking away from us in the third quarter or fourth quarter.
0: Yeah, yeah. You know, when we look at this, we got to make sure that we're not letting Riley Leonard beat us. I, I think if we can get into those predictable outcomes in the zone read game where the ball is handed to the running back, that's probably a better thing for us. Now we still got to be good in in that backside contain because if if we're if we're forcing the mesh and we're forcing the give in the mesh, then there could be some, some cutback lanes. So we got to make sure that we're, we're not missing tackles, that we're not giving up contain on the backside. Got Uh, it. That's, that's going to be a big key for sure.
1: All right. One last piece that I think is the key is going to be the forcing of turnovers. We obviously did force one, but unfortunately we also surrendered four. but Duke's a top team in the country in turnover margin. They've only turned the ball over six times all year. All year. Yep. But a little, little ray of hope. A little ray of hope. We know they lost to Georgia Tech 23-20. Of their six, they gave up two in that game. And they did not take anything away from Georgia Tech. And if we go back and just look at the Georgia Tech game for us this week is they were plus three and they beat us by a point. So it's one of those correlations to say if we can just stay away from the turnovers, and I know that's easier said than done, but force them to have one of their bad games because one of their bad games they lost to one of the worst teams, even though we've lost to that team. So are we worse or not?
0: Yeah, that's the question. I mean, overall, Duke has played much better than we have all year, obviously. But 100%. Yeah. they lost to a team that we almost beat. That we should have beat if we had just taken care of some things there at the end. Um, does that you know? How, how is the locker room reacting to that? Are they saying, "Yes, yeah, shit, we are almost there," or are they saying, "Damn, we let another one get away"? What is their mentality? True,
1: and you hope it's the uh, latter, not the former, because it's if it's the how do we keep letting these games go away? That's a defeatist mentality. That's the whole, you know, the finishing, the winning. That is not the mentality you need. All right, so we're Brian. Almost uh,
0: there. We're we're a couple plays away from from putting these things away. Now let's go make those plays.
1: Well, well I pose this to you, Brian. How many plays do you think we are from the three lo- three of our losses being wins? Do you think it's zero to five or one to five? I think zero
0: to I think zero to well, five in at least. ODU and Georgia Tech, right at five, maybe just over that against NC State. Okay. So you're thinking overall, we're
1: probably 15 or under plays from being, we do the math, five and four. Yeah. Okay. Nice. <laughs> right. Well,
0: let's get to game. So whether, whether that's encouraging or discouraging to the players, I <laughs> don't know. That's all mentality. Um, that's
1: all the yeah. play. I mean, that's you got to have conversations. But I
0: mean, that's that's definitely you know that that's definitely where we are right now. I mean, I think, and and if we were five and four, I think uh, people would feel a whole lot better about this season. So oh, the no, fact that we're close aesthetic. to the fact that we're close to that is encouraging. But your record is we're what your away. record
1: is. We're close, but we're far away.
0: Yeah, your record that is still what your is record like, is. So, you got yep. you got to finish. That that's just what it is. You got to finish. We are who we thought
1: we were. All right, game prediction time, Brian. I'll go first. Listen, I'm I'm just not feeling it. I think they easily take care of us 31-16. And I don't I've
0: know got, if that's them
1: blowing us out early or them finishing us off late. I, I I don't know.
0: I've got this closer. I've got to score in at least one non-offensive uh touchdown. Uh, I've got Duke hanging on at 31 to
1: 26.
0: 31, 26. All right. Big screener for the week, Brian. I'm going to be doing some traveling, so
1: I won't be able to catch hardly any of the early games. Uh, Hokies, what I'll be doing, probably following on my phone and putting earbuds in, um, you know, at numerous points in time. I'm hoping I'll find a TV. But when I get back, I will be watching the TCU-Texas game, game day on site. I think purposely the CFP put them at four to give it the big feel. You know, if you put them (laughs) at, like, six, and they're like, they're number six. It's like, well. No one cares. No one gives a crap. You're number four, more people care. Um, TCU is getting seven points. The over-under 65. I think the over-hits – I think it's a shootout. And the honest truth is, I don't know who will win the game, but I, I think because I because my feel is it's going to be a tight game, it's probably going to be somewhere like 35-38. I'll okay. take
0: TCU and take the points. All what right. What about you? All right. I'm going a little off-kilter this week. Okay. I'm going down – to uh to Louisiana, I'm going to UCF at Tulane. All right, all two right. Tulane, Tulane top twenty five is...
1: matchup. That's a big game.
0: It's a big yeah. game in the AAC. <laughs> Tulane uh is the two point favorite here. Uh, over under on that one is fifty one and a half. I've got Tulane winning and covering, and I'm gonna take the under. Ooh, an
1: underfest. The The always scary thing to watch is just watching an under when teams start scoring. Like, stop. Slow down. down. We got too much time left. Slow down. There's still 30 minutes left. Why are we at 35 points already? Gosh. All right. So there you go for our big screeners, our game predictions. Brian, anything breaking in the last hour and 34 minutes since we jumped on?
0: I'm not seeing anything, buddy.
1: All righty, who's winning the game behind us here in a second? Let me just uh, turn around here. Oh, ooh, 21-21, Ball State Toledo, under nine. What's the line in that game? Can you pull that up real quick? Yeah, let me I'm, get Now I'm just kind of interested here. Like, is there anybody sweating, <laughs> making bets on this? Because obviously this looks like it's been an entertaining game in the glass bowl down
0: at Toledo let's see Toledo was uh 11 point favorite Ooh, what's the over under uh let's see 50 half. 50
1: half all right well that's some sweaters right there at 42 I mean <laughs> you know if you're if you, if you took ball stayed in the points tonight uh, you you're feeling good so uh interesting all righty well let's close it up Ron That wraps up this episode of the Boundary Corner podcast brought to you by Main Street Pharmacy in Blacksburg. I am Curtis Wilson.
0: I'm Brian Siegler.
1: Visit our website, BoundaryCornerVT.com, to listen to all of our episodes. While you're there, don't forget to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Subscribe Subscribe to our YouTube account. And follow us on your favorite podcast source, Spotify, Amazon, Apple Podcasts. As always, we let our buddy Jason Long play us in, play us out. Check him out on his new website, jasonlongmusic.com, where it, where it will link you to his music on Apple, Spotify. Also, his YouTube and Facebook pages, where I think on his Facebook page today, he covered some Sturgill Simpson. At least I thought that's what I read. Always I it, a good decision. Always oh, a We thank you, as always, for listening through thick and thin, two wins or less or more. And as always, Brian, let's go. hokey.